If you would, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, it begins on page 510 in your pew Bible and goes to 511. Uh, you'll notice in your bulletin we have a, there's an outline um, uh, for the sermon as well. This is sort of a, a second Easter sermon, if you will. In uh, thinking about uh, Easter, uh, there's more that we can say. And, and we can still celebrate a crucified Savior in an empty tomb the Sunday after Easter, too. We don't just have to wait. Uh, yeah, there's not the hubbub that there was last Sunday, uh, but we still have an empty tomb. We still have a risen Savior. Uh, I titled this sermon An Ordinary Sunday. I, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, of course, that on the one hand it is ordinary because, like I said, there's not the hubbub of last Sunday, but uh, we still have much to rejoice in. We still have much to be thankful for. And the question of the sermon today is, what shall I render to God for all of his benefits to me? Based on all that he's done for me, how am I rightly to respond to that? That's a, a great question, I think, for us to consider today. We're going to focus on t- verses 12 and 13 of this psalm, but I want to read the whole psalm to begin. This is God's word to us. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it will stand forever. Let us pray. O Lord, would you be with us now as we have heard your word read and preached. Lord, we would receive it with gladness. You would give us ears to hear. And Lord, that we would walk away today understanding what we can do in response to all the ways that you have loved us in Christ. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Imagine you, if you didn't follow the story, you heard of the story of the Chilean miners who were trapped back in 2010. 33 of them, in fact. There, uh, where they had gone down uh, into this mine, it had collapsed in on top of them, and they were trapped. There was nothing they could do. There was no amount of, of taking a shovel and trying to dig their way out. There was nothing that they could do. The main tunnel sealed their exit off. They went into survival mode. They ate two spoonfuls of tuna. They had a sip of milk and a morsel of peaches every other day for two months. All they really could do was pray that someone would come down and save them. 
On the surf, unbeknownst to them, but on the surface above, this Chilean rescue team is working around the clock trying to figure out how are we going to get down there and get these guys out of here. Even consulting NASA and other experts to figure out how to do this. They first drill a communication shaft so they could talk to the, to the miners, and then a 13-foot-tall capsule that eventually they would put down into the earth. The men would get in there, and they would pull them out. On October the 13th of 2010, the men began to emerge from their stony grave. A grandfather, a 40-year-old man who was planning a wedding, a 19-year-old kid, coming out high-fiving and, and yelling and screaming and hugging with, with great shouts of, of joy and thankfulness. All of them eventually had to make a decision. I can't do anything about my predicament. I'm going to have to trust that someone from the outside is going to come down here and is going to pull me out. A wonderful gospel illustration, is it not? We're in our life of sin and despair and hopelessness. Christ said, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to come do for them what they simply cannot do for themselves. I'm going to rescue them and give them salvation and pull them out. That is the story of Easter, is it not? A, a cross, salvation, forgiveness conquering death, Christ's resurrection pointing to our resurrection. But maybe a question remains. What am I to render to God for all of his benefits to me? How do I respond to that love? How do I respond to such hope? How do I respond to a God who comes and does this for me? Probably for these Chilean miners, how do I say thank you for all these people who worked around the clock to do this for me? You know, figuring out how to thank someone for something is a question that you have very often in your life, right? You, you have a child and someone brings you a meal and, well, I ought to tell them thank you for that. Someone visits you in the hospital and you're very kind for their words and the way that they prayed with you and you, you want to tell them thank you. Someone gives you a great piece of advice and you take that advice and it proves well for you. You want to show them some gratitude. So, well, maybe you write them a thank you note or you buy something for them as a token of your gratitude, or at the very least, you're really nice to them for a couple of months, right? To, to express to them, thanks for what you have done. But what if they saved your life as these men? And as Christ has done for you, he's ultimately saved you from, from wrath and condemnation, things we're going to consider as we come to the table in a few moments. Do you ever feel that burden? I, I've got to pay God back for all he did. What do I render to him, as the psalmist says? What do I give to God for his abundant and innumerable, blessing, innumerable blessings that he's given me? It's a great question that we might ask coming out of Holy Week. Based on all that we celebrated, what do we do now? How do we go forward? Because Christ has poured out his blessings of mercy and salvation upon us, how do we respond? Well, we respond with worship. We respond with thanksgiving, and as we're going to see, maybe somewhat counterintuitively, we respond to him by asking him for even more. You've given me so much, Lord. Would you give me more? Would you give me more grace that I might come to you again and again and again, that I would drink the cup of salvation and love you've given me, and then I'd ask you to fill it back so you'd give me more? You see the outline there in your, in your bulletin. There's a rescue. There's a response. And then there's a resolution. Like I said, I'm going to focus on verses 12 and 13, but in this first point, let me, let me get us up to that point in talking about the rescue. 
In the Psalms, from Psalm 113 to 118, it's called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. 116 is one of those psalms. It's psalms written in conjunction with the, the, the Exodus, written in conjunction with God delivering his people from the slavery and bondage that they had in, in Egypt. If you remember, the Old Testament believer didn't know anything about the cross. They didn't have a cross to look back to as the great deliverance moment of their history. Old Testament believers had the Exodus. That was their big thing that they shouted about and sung and hoped in. Wow, can you remember what God did for our people? He, he delivered us from bondage. He, he, he loved us in this way. Isn't this wonderful? And so we think, they thought back on that as we think back on the cross. And so these psalms would have been sung in conjunction with Passover in remembering God's deliverance and love for them. The psalmist expresses his gratitude in verse 1. He uses the language of rescue. I was brought out of the snares of death. I was rescued from distress and anger. He talks about calling on the name of the Lord. And in doing so, God responds in mercy. He saves him. He deals bountifully with him. This is the language he uses. He, he dried my tears. He gave me a firm foundation to stand on. And in verse 10, he said, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Considering the words of the, of the Israelites as they were in bondage, they were, they were greatly afflicted. They cried out to God. And he said, but in faith, we, they cried out, I'm afflicted, Lord, but will you hear my cries? And God did. He's suffering. He's in danger. This is more than just the general discomforts of life, though that is in view, I think, of this psalm. But what the psalmist is talking about is rescue and salvation and forgiveness. There is a temporal or earthly provision, but it's bigger than that. It's the salvation of our sins. So what are we to do on this Sunday? It's an ordinary Sunday today, isn't it? We're back to normal again, right? You're not going to fuss over your lunch plans this Sunday like you did last Sunday. I don't see as much seersucker out here today as I did last Sunday, right? We had so much of it on. There, just, there wasn't the hubbub today as there was last week. You, weren't, you didn't stress about what your kids wore today like you did last week. You weren't quite as excited this morning. The attendance is low. Excitement is less because we've come back down to an ordinary Sunday. But here we are again. We still have a cross that we can hope in. We still have an empty tomb that we can trust in. We still have a resurrection. We still have victory over the grave and victory over sin and death. There should be no less excitement on this ordinary Sunday as in another Sunday. But yet that's often how we feel. Do we see every day as a deliverance from evil and death? Every day is God's sovereign hand upon my life given me great benefits. As the psalmist says in Psalm 103, that we would forget none of his benefits. Do you think on his benefits to you? All that you have in Christ, even the little tiny things that you take for granted. Yes, salvation. Yes, sanctification. But even the many, many small blessings. Do you think on those things? Isaac Watts was correct when he said in his hymn, Joy to the World, that he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How, what's the breadth of, of Christ's blessings far as the curse is found? Everywhere. Because the curse has touched everything. But yet his love and blessing comes into that. So in light of this rescue, what are we to do? Well, verse 12 begins to answer that for us. So number two, the response. 
In the first part of the psalm, verses 1 through 11, the writer tells, this is what God has done for me. He's writing it from an from a individual perspective. Verses 13 through 19 is now how I'm going to respond back to that. Verse 12 is kind of the center point of it all. It's, it's the question, what shall I render to God for all his benefits to me? What shall I render to him? It's natural for us to ask this, but in asking it, we're implying there is something I can do to repay him for all that he has done. But that's not true. What could we possibly give to God that would be sufficient compensation for all that he's done for us? It seems silly even for that to come out of our mouth that that there might be sufficient compensation. His benefits are too numerous to count. You start to think of them and you're overwhelmed at all that he has done. He's your creator. He's your sustainer. He's your rock and redeemer. He's your savior. He's your God. He's your king. He's your great shepherd. He's a great physician. He loves you. He rebukes you. He disciplines you. He cares for you. And we could keep going on and on and on to list all the benefits we have in Christ. James Boyce says of this passage, There is no benefit on account of which God has not made me a debtor to him. How should I have means of repaying him for them? You see what he's saying? (laughs) You can't pay him back. Even the goodness that you think is somehow repaying him for what he's done, he's given you the ability to do that. You, You can't repay him. All you can do is grow a greater and greater debt that thankfully you don't have to repay. He's repaid for you. Don't... Even your goodness is something you receive from him to give to others or to give back to him. The money you have, it's a gift from him that you might bless others. Everything we have is from him. We do have empty hands. As we often sing here, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We were naked and we received clothing. We were hungry, we received food. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were made alive in Christ. None of us, has, there, not one of us in here, has not had God's blessings heaped and piled upon you. This is what we're trying to get our mind around. How might I respond to that? You know, if, we, if we hadn't read the rest of the psalm already, you might wonder how the psalmist would respond to his own question. What do I give back to God for his benefits? Oh, this is great. He's going to tell me what I need to do to repay God. Okay, maybe he's going to give me a checklist of things, and that's great. I have some control over that. He's going to tell me a list of ways I might give back to God. But he doesn't. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will lift up the cup of salvation, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Paul addresses this at the end of Romans 11 when he says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. He owns it all. It's all his. How could we possibly repay him? Well, he does answer the question in the first verse of chapter 12 when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You repay him by giving of yourself. What sacrifice does he want? He doesn't want bulls and goats and lambs. He wants you. He wants a living sacrifice for him. So we respond with our worship. We respond with our gratitude to him. Um, I have a real good friend uh, from seminary. His name's Mantle Nance. Uh, He's a senior pastor at an ARP church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, 
mantle, you have that friend in your life that's just better than you at everything, and it really drives you crazy. You know, they're just always a little bit better than you at everything that you do. Mantle's that friend, okay? He, he always made better grades than us in seminary. He was always a better preacher than the rest of us. He was better looking than the rest of us. It just it drove you nuts. He's always a little bit better. Um, Mantle's a very good friend, and he, told, he used an illustration one day in a, in a sermon that he delivered in class. He was talking about his son Jackson, who I, was either a kindergartner or a first grader at the first time. Uh, I can't remember which. But he and his wife had long prayed that they could put Jackson into Covenant Day School. It's a, a Christian school, very similar to First Pres uh, Day School here. Great Christian school tied to, to Christ's Covenant Church. And so for financial reasons, they weren't able to put Jackson in school, but they continued to pray every night. Lord, would you open a door that we might send Jackson to the school? Now, unbeknownst to Mantle and his wife, Jackson had overheard them on, on several occasions praying for him, praying that the Lord would open the door to send him to Covenant Day School. And so finally, it happened. They, they received tuition assistance and other things that, that allowed them to send their son to the school that they wanted to go to. And so Mantle took his son Jackson to, their very, to his very first day of school at Covenant Day School, and they were about to walk into the front doors, and Jackson stopped his dad and said, Daddy? Are these the doors that you and mommy prayed that God would open so that I could come to the school? <laughs> Remember Mantle telling the story and tears welling up in his eyes at the tenderness and innocence of his son. And he said, yeah, bud, these are the doors. These are the doors that mommy and daddy prayed for that God would open for you. And he said, well, well daddy, this is great. <laughs> what do we do now? What do we do now? What a great question to ask. Because of Easter, what do we do now? How do we respond to his goodness? How do we respond to his provision and blessing for us? We lift up the cup of salvation. We call on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord in Scripture, it can mean prayer, but more often it means worship. We come to him in worship. We, we do what we're doing right now. Is Sunday worship something that's a priority for you? I, don't, I, I didn't ask, is it important to you? We all know it's important. We all know coming here and worshiping God and being with God's people is important. Is it a priority for you? Such that nothing stands in your way of coming here. To offer back to God and thanking Him for all that He's done for you. His great blessings to you. Work's not going to get in the way. you got a lot to do, but this is the priority. Work's not the priority. Other things, a ball game, a Falcons game, it's not more important than being here. It's not more important than coming and worshiping and offering back to God in thankfulness for all that he has done for you and for me. What do we render to God for his benefits? We render ourselves. And lastly, we make a resolution. You make New Year's resolutions maybe, well, today we're making an Easter resolution. To lift up the cup of salvation, I'm going to divide chapter, uh, verse 13 into two parts here. The first part being, I will lift up the cup of salvation. Some commentators believe that it's referring back to Numbers chapter 15 and 28, when God describes the drink offerings that the Israelites were to give to God. But that doesn't seem to be the scope of what's being said here. Because the psalmist is not telling us to offer something, he's telling us to receive something, to take something to take a cup that's been given to us. You know, Christ drank a cup on the night that he was betrayed. He gave a cup to his disciples, and then he would drink a cup of suffering for you and me. And he drank all of it. 
Even after praying to the Father that if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, the Father says no, and Christ drinks that cup. He drank the cup of suffering and wrath and condemnation of God so you and I could take a cup of salvation and we could drink it. That cup, bad cup was meant for us. We didn't get it. Jesus took it, so we get the good cup. We get the good cup of all the blessings and benefits. Christ is glorified. We are saved. The writer of this psalm is not talking about giving God anything. That might be what we expect him to say. He's saying, I want you to take something. I want you to receive something. To show your repayment, to show your gratitude, take something from me and continue to take it. The only way we can truly repay God from whom everything comes is by taking even more from him. Charles Spurgeon discusses this in his commentary on verse 13 when he says poetically, The best return for one like me, so wretched and so poor, is from his gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. From his gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. It seems counterintuitive to us. I need to give back to him. No, he's saying you don't need to give back to me. You need to receive more. And you need to ask for more. And you need to continue to come to my throne of grace where I can give you more and more and still even more. We lift up the cup of salvation in gratitude for what he's done in Christ, and then we call on his name in worship. What can I give the Lord? Give him yourself. Come and worship with his people. Thank him for all that he is and all that he has given you. Paul says in Acts chapter 17 that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There's not a payment that he needs. There's not a payment he's asking for. He's asking for you. He's asking for your worship. He's asking for you to glorify him with your life and with your words. I call on the Lord, and he fills me again with his inexhaustible goodness and grace to me. Lifting up the cup of salvation signifies taking the Lord's satisfying salvation, drinking it, and expecting he's going to do this again for me. He's going to be there again for me. He's going to help me again and again and again. There was an art contest one day. Hundreds of entries, a beautiful painting submitted. And this man entered in a picture of Niagara Falls that he had painted. Some of you may have been there, this beautiful, just thunderous rushing of water over the falls. But he had forgotten to add a title to this painting. He dropped it off and he'd left. And so the curator of this, uh, of this art exhibit was looking for him, but she couldn't find him, and so she decided to title the painting herself. So she put a little plaque underneath this painting of Niagara Falls that said, More to Come. What a fitting explanation of the falls. <laughs> there's more coming. There's, there's an abundance of water. It's not going to run out. There's, there's an abundance of God's grace. It's an inexhaustible abundance. You, you can't max out what he can do for you. You can't ask too much. First Pres, there's always more grace for all that we need. And it's available to you and to me. He poured it out upon you in your conversion by bringing you from death into life. And he says in, in Hebrews, keep coming Keep coming and asking. Keep boldly coming to this throne of grace. I have everything that you need. We drink the cup of goodness and salvation, and we lift it up and ask for more. 
you need more in your marriage, don't you? you? We weren't going so good, and they were going good, and then it was going bad again. Lord, I need grace. I need grace to love this person. I need grace to, to glorify you through my marriage. I need grace for that relationship with a person that I simply cannot forgive. I thought I had it, but now I realize I don't. I need your grace again. Would you give it to me? I need grace for the hopelessness and disappointment that I so often find myself in. Lord, I know I prayed for this every day for the last 10 years, but would you give it to me again? I need you again, and I need more. Are we doing that? This is not some huge mortgage that you took out. That, well, it's going to take us a while, but we'll eventually pay God back. It's going to be incremental, and it's going to take some time. That's not it. He's not expecting a, a repayment. He's expecting you to love him and thank him and sacrifice yourself for him every single day. What are we supposed to do with a sermon today? Well, I hope today that you'll think about all the benefits that you have in Jesus. You'll think about your conversion. You'll think about there was no way that you could have figured this out yourself. There's no way that you could have rescued yourself. There's no way that you could have said, no more darkness for me, I need light. No, only Christ could do that. Think upon those benefits today. Sit around the table this afternoon and think about all the way, even the small, seemingly insignificant ways, he blesses you every day. And then pray that he give you more. Pray, pray that he would help you more. Pray that he would help you to love people more. Pray that he would provide in ways that you need him even more. Continue that relationship and conversation with your Savior. And then let us come again next Sunday on another ordinary Sunday and let us receive from him once again. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for all that we have in your son Jesus Christ, that we would, we would not forget any of his benefits towards us. Lord, that we would respond to your goodness to us with our worship and looking to you to fill us again. Lord, we thank you that you never tire of blessing your people and pouring out your grace on us. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would fill us again. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.